Well, it is almost the weekend. We can't do that until we have another edition of the Speaking For Him podcast, of course. I'm Adam McNutt, alongside the host of the program, Mr. Andrew Gomison. Hello, Adam. It's great to be with you. And today, uh, as we are in the month of January, as you know, we are celebrating um, or commemorating, I should say, not necessarily celebrating, but commemorating the 44th anniversary of Roe versus Wade, the decision um, that made abortion legal throughout all 50 states. And so we have, a, as you know, we have a couple shows uh, that are dedicated to that usually every year. And this is one of those. I'm very excited um, today to talk to Melissa Oden, uh, the president and founder, I believe, of the Abortion Survivors Network. And Adam, you have a quote of the day, which gives us a little bit of information about that. Melissa has experienced firsthand what she calls the intergenerational impact of abortion. The reality is that abortion doesn't ju- just just impact a woman's life. It ends a child's life, and it forever changes the lives of everyone it touches, including women, men, extended family members, friends, and our communities. That's from the Abortion Survivors Network website. And this is just by way of a little bit more information from the website. The Abortion Survivor Network was created by a salient infusion abortion survivor and international pro-life speaker and advocate, Melissa Oden, who recognized the need for both support for and among abortion survivors and better information to be made available to the public about abortion survivors. Who better is there to educate the public about abortion survivors than the survivors themselves? And today we have the privilege of welcoming Melissa to the show. So well, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. Thank you. Um, this is a big question, but uh, we have plenty of time. So could you just start out by giving us a summary of your story? <laughs> well, yeah, it, it could have been a very short story. You know, back in 1977, it simply could have been, you know, another child's life was ended by abortion. But instead, um, back in 1977, when my birth mother was a college student and found herself with an unplanned pregnancy, um, she was actually forced by her own mother, my maternal grandmother, to uh, have that saline infusion abortion, believing that she was less than five months pregnant with me. So that type of abortion isn't done anymore, but back then it was very routine and You know, that saline infusion abortion involved injecting a toxic salt solution into the amniotic fluid surrounding me in my birth mother's womb. And the intent of that toxic salt solution was to scald me to death from the outside in. Typically, that procedure was done within about 72 hours. The child soaked in that toxic salt solution until their life was effectively snuffed out. And then premature labor was induced with the intent of a deceased child being delivered. What I actually know through my birth records is that I didn't soak in that toxic salt solution for just three days. I actually soaked in it for five. And on the fifth day of the abortion procedure, my birth mother's premature labor was induced. You know, I was supposed to be delivered then as a successful abortion, a deceased child. But by the grace of God, I was delivered alive. And in recent years, I've actually learned that it was my own grandmother, that maternal grandmother again. She was a very prominent nurse, and um, she actually assisted in the abortion procedure. She not only forced it on my birth mother, but she is the one who delivered me. And looking upon my live birth actually still demanded that I be left to die. 
you know, what happened to me back in 1977 has happened to so many children after me um, to be left to die after someone survives an abortion. But gratefully, two nurses on staff at the hospital found out about that secret abortion and the little girl who had survived, and they fought for medical care to be provided to me. And that medical care ultimately sustained my life. You know, most people would never guess if they see a picture of me or see me on television. You know, I don't look like I should have been scalded to death in the womb. I don't look like I was fighting for my life when I survived, but I was. I weighed a little less than three pounds. I was two pounds, 14 ounces. I suffered from severe respiratory and liver problems, and I suffered from seizures for an extended period of time. Um, the doctors really didn't have a very positive prognosis for my life. They indicated they didn't think I would live for very long, and if I did, I would suffer from multiple disabilities, ranging from blindness and deafness to emotional and mental disabilities. Um, And so the outlook for my life was very poor, but my adoptive parents didn't hesitate to open their home to me, and, and I ultimately went home to them just a few months after I survived that failed abortion. That's pretty miraculous stuff. It is. And and I um, resonate with some of what you're talking about because I was born three months premature um, mm-hmm. through the through no fault of my parents. But uh, <clears throat> and I have dealt with physical disability um, since then because of that. But I have also mm-hmm. realized that even in spite of that or perhaps because of that, God has given a purpose to my life that I wouldn't have otherwise realized. And that's part of the reason why. The Speaking for Him podcast came to be. Mm-hmm. Um, my co-host Adam McNutt is here with me, and Adam and I have had a lot of discussions uh, about uh, this issue. So, Adam, do you have any questions for our guests today? Well, first off, I, I want to thank you for using what God's given you in your life with that story. As you've continued, you've gone out, you've you've shared your story, you've, you've encouraged those to, you know, fight against abortion, and, and with that, you formed the. Abortion Survivors Network, or how to be a part of that. Can you tell us a little more about that formation, how it came to be? Yeah, you know, I spent years of my life embarrassed and ashamed. Even though I knew God had an amazing purpose for my life, we live in this culture that doesn't say very positive things about lives like mine. And so I felt very alone for a long time. And it changed my life when I found out that Gianna Jessen existed. And just as that changed my life, in turn, I had the great opportunity to change other survivors' lives. Because when I started speaking in 2007, you know, no matter where I would go or what show I was on, somebody would contact me and say, ah, I'm a survivor too. I have thought I must be the only one. And so, you know, over time, really, God was making it clear that part of my role is to kind of be the glue um, to to bring other survivors together and let one another know that they're not alone and get them support and help them find, you know, counselors who can assist them and um, allow them the opportunity if they ever want to come forward to advocate or just share their story. Um, so that happened back in 2011, about the same time the movie October Baby came out. And, um, you know, that was God's perfect timing because we were able to lead the press to the website when October Baby came out and they were saying, oh, you know, it's just a movie. This isn't real life. And we were able to say, guess what? This is real life. And here's a bunch of those lives. That's that's amazing. Um, So could you elaborate on what kind of services you provide? 
Yeah, you know, right now it's fairly informal. I started it with this grand plan (laughs) on everything we would do. But what I've learned over the years is that most survivors just simply want a place to go where they can touch base with somebody and say, hey, I'm just like you. And a lot of people tend to just touch base and then go away for a period of time. Um, It's There's so many dynamics to being a survivor that I think a lot of people – you can probably understand even if you haven't been through it, but there's so much shame and and there's guilt for surviving and there's, you know, all of these fears that people are going to find out your story and they're going to persecute you for it. And there's just this whole mix of emotions. So a lot of folks just touch base with us and go away, but most people usually come back and they simply want to have contact with other survivors. So that's the majority of the work that we do is we have a network of survivors who communicate with one another and we match them up, you know, based on their life history, um, you know, any kind of religious preferences, things like that. So we do a lot of just putting people in contact with one another. And the other huge piece is a lot of folks need therapy and maybe have been in therapy for years. But a lot of times counselors say things to survivors that aren't very helpful. Things like, "Mm, can't you just be happy that you're alive? (laughs) That doesn't help. Um, Of course we're happy to be alive, but it doesn't erase the pain of what happened to us. So that's a lot of the work that I do is finding counselors who have experience with post-abortion syndrome and um, then connecting survivors with them in their community. I mean, sometimes this takes months for me to find somebody um, who's appropriate um, for someone to receive counseling. So that's a lot of the work that we do. We also do a lot of work just compiling stories of survivors that want to share their story and putting it out there and trying to collect all of the relevant stories that we can that have kind of been smattered across the Internet and put them in one central location where people can get to it. That sounds like great work because like you said, a lot of them people like to minimize this stuff. And I, and I told, um, I was telling Adam through the course of one of our other podcasts that we did, um, or perhaps even off air that I think sometimes even we as pro-lifers, even though we, we say that we believe in the sanctity of human life and we do intrinsically, we still have this disconnect between what what we think it is and what it really is. And when I, when I heard about the abortion survivors network in my research, I knew that I had to have somebody on because there's nothing like hearing, um, about surviving an abortion from someone that's done it as we talked about in the intro and just realizing that if you survived abortion, you must've been uh, at all times throughout your conception, a natural life. So, mm-hmm. oh yeah, who can refute that, right? <laughs> Nobody's ever wanted to debate with me when life begins. <laughs> Nobody's ever wanted to talk about that. Um, you know, and it's an, I I completely agree with you, Andrew. I think, you know, part of what I've tried to do in the pro-life movement is raise raise the profile of survivors, I guess to some extent. Yeah. I will never forget and I will never name who it was, but years ago I had this really amazing pro-life leader meet me and pat me on the head and just kind of said, oh, aren't you so cute? Your your stories are so important. And I walked away thinking, really? We're cute? No, we're powerful. 
We are powerful, and this is this is what we're fighting for. You know what? People are fighting for people like me and future generations to come, like my children. So I think in many ways, the pro-life movement hasn't even known what to do about survivors, I think, in the past. I, I think that's changing. I think, you know, they know that we're a, a very integral part of what happens, but um, this is kind of new to them, too. Well, can you give us the website? Sure. It's theabortionsurvivors.com. Theabortionsurvivors.com. And we Correct. will And we will have that on the blog for Speaking For Him at speakingforhim.blogspot.com. And that will also be mentioned in the wrap-up of the show. So if you didn't hear it, hear it there, you can be reminded of it as we go to the end of our show. Well, one of the things you mentioned on the website is that abortion and its impact have a much farther reach than we like to admit. Could you elaborate a little bit on this based on your own story as well as those of others you know? Yeah, definitely. You know, for almost 44 years now, the pro-abortion industry has said it's just a woman's choice. You know, very rarely have they talked about the child. And, um, you know, men have been told it's none of their business. They need to stay out of it. It doesn't involve them. So we haven't heard about how men are affected. They haven't talked about how the child's life has ended. And, you know, up until recent years, a lot of people weren't even really talking about how grandparents are impacted, you know, aunts and uncles, cousins, friends, future generations to come through every life lost. We're talking doctors and nurses who have committed abortions or assisted in them. Um, You know, the list just goes on and on. And, you know, when I think about where we're at as a society You know, we could look at everything and say, geez, this is so grim, right? I think part of the reason why we see so much suffering in our world, especially when it comes to abortion, is because we've been doing this for 44 years now. We've lost about 57 million lives lost. So we've lost 57 million lives. And how many of those other people that I named can we add to that? You know, we're talking hundreds of millions of people whose lives have been forever changed. And, you know, I think until people have the opportunity to heal, um, we just need, we need as a society to heal and to repent from what has been happening. Well, and as we go along, one of the things I thought of just in the last couple of years is that all through my childhood, um, it was always this semi-recent activity, and it still is relatively uh, compared to some historic events. But the interesting thing about it is we're getting to the point where we're talking about potential grandparents that were aborted in the early 70s. You know, they're getting up to the, almost to the point where they would be grandparents. So you're not just talking about those 57 million babies, but all the the children that could come from them are the grandchildren even now. So that's a pretty sobering thought. It is. And, you know, I think we'd be fooling ourselves to say this has an impact on our country financially. You know, there's some great research out there to show, um, you know, the the demographics of, you know, what we've done by aborting all of those lives. You know, we can't put a price tag on life, um, but that's certainly an implication of this also. So getting back a little bit to your personal story, can you talk a little bit about how your childhood was directly impacted um, by, by the knowledge that you were aborted, or, or how old were you when you found that out? I didn't know until I was 14. I grew up, you know, I led a pretty normal life. Um, I grew up knowing I was adopted, knowing I was loved, and um, 
when I was 14, found out the great secret about my survival simply because my older sister had an unplanned pregnancy as a high school student. And even though we were raised to know about the sanctity of life and the gift of adoption, she was considering an abortion. And so our parents told her my survival story, hoping that it would make a difference in her life. And it did. She chose life for her son and her children thereafter. But, um, after she found out, she led me on to the fact that there was more to the story of my life. And so there I was, 14 years old, having to hear my mother tell me that I had survived a failed abortion. And, you know, it was absolutely devastating. It was just, I can't even put it into words. You know, it's been over 20 years. And um, it was just the most painful night of my life. I knew in that moment of time that God had a plan for me, but I think sometimes it's really hard to embrace the plan and the purpose when you are in the midst of such pain. And so I dealt with that pain for a couple of years after that. You know, I struggled with shame and embarrassment and and guilt. And, you know, I think part of that was the enemy just really trying to tie me down and, you know, make it clear I should never go tell God's story to the world. Um, but when I was 19, I started to get to the point where I knew that I was being called to share the story and started looking for my biological parents because I wanted them to hear from me first and wanted to find my medical records because I knew if I came forward with this story that people would try to refute it. And so it took me until I was almost 30 to find my biological parents and to obtain my medical records. And folks can see my medical records on my website. It's just Melissa Odin, O-H-D-E-N.com. And, um, I believe it's on the photos page of my website. My new website just went up this week, but it should be on the photos page. There's copies of my medical records that say things like a saline infusion for an abortion was done but was unsuccessful. And through those medical records, I ultimately found my biological parents because they committed a terrible mistake when they sent me those medical records. They forgot to black out my birth parents' names. After, you know, over 10 years of searching for them, that's ultimately how I found them was through this terrible mistake. But, you know, I don't believe that was a mistake. I call it divine intervention because it was time. It was time for me to find them. And when I found them, I learned that I was living in the very same city as my biological father. I didn't grow up there. I I had grown up a couple hours away from there. I had moved there to finish my master's degree in social work and, and knew that it was the city supposedly where my birth mother's abortion had taken place. But I had my doubts about that. But it was absolutely true. That was the city. And there he was. And after months of praying about it, I ultimately sent him a letter letting him know that I knew the truth and he was loved and he's forgiven. And, you know, I let him know that I would be waiting to hear from him and you know, that was back in 2007, and I'm still waiting today, and that's okay. You know, ultimately, there was a very good reason why he didn't respond, um, as I'll share in a second. But that same time, I turned my sights to my birth mother. I couldn't find her through my searching, but I found her parents, that same grandmother who was responsible for so much. I did not know back then that she did the things that she did, but I sent them a letter and asked for them to contact my birth mother on my behalf. And I'm very grateful that my grandfather replied to my letter and told me some things about my family. And um, 
you know, that was the last time I heard from my grandparents was back in 2007. And that's also when I came forward publicly as a survivor. And, um, you know, it wasn't very long into my public speaking that um, my own birth father lost his life. That's why he never responded to the letter that I sent, because he died almost to the very day of the Roe versus Wade anniversary decision in 2008. And I don't believe that is a coincidence. You know, I think that's just a further indication of how much his life was impacted by that abortion. And, um, you know, I didn't know about it for months that he'd passed away. I very innocently Googled his name on the Internet one night and um, stumbled across his obituary. And I questioned God when I found that obituary. You know, I searched for him for 10 years, and I had found him, and then I lost him. But God spoke very clearly to me in my pain, as I know he does to so many of us. He reminded me to be patient, because his plan was much greater. And it's always true. And as the months unfolded, I got to see what God's plan involved, and that involved bringing my birth father's family into my life. After he died, they cleaned out his office, and they found my letter. It was tucked in his top desk drawer, and he had never told anybody about the abortion. And I have every reason now to believe that he didn't know before that that I was alive. And so here they come across this great secret, and they came looking for me, and they came into my life in 2008, not long after our oldest daughter was born. And Our daughter, Olivia, just so happened to be born at the very same hospital where my life was supposed to end through that abortion. You know, God truly redeems all things. I I know a lot of people doubt that, but oh man, I have seen it time and time again. And since then, my grandfather and my great aunt from my birth father's family have been involved in my life. And even in the last couple years, my birth mother's family has come into my life. I was contacted by one of her cousins uh, back in 2013. She's the one who told me about everything my grandmother did. And she put me in contact with my two half-sisters, and she even opened up the lines of communication with my birth mother. We haven't met yet, but we send cards and emails and pictures and gifts, you know, quite frequently. And so I know it's just a matter of time until we meet one another. Wow. Well, you've talked... uh... Uh, a little bit here through talking about your parents, about the providence of God in your life. And it's mentioned on your website and on your Facebook page that being a Christian is a big part of who you are. Could mm-hmm. you talk a little bit about um, your relationship with Jesus Christ and how that became personal for you? Yeah, you know what? I was raised to always know Jesus. You know, people always ask me, at what point in time? I, My parents raised me to know Jesus. But I think what I, I've experienced is in the midst of my, probably my greatest suffering, I, I became closer to him. You know, I think sometimes people think that, that he is gone when we are suffering, and it is not that. Um, he is there. It's us that walk away or try to run away or turn our backs. And, um, oh, sorry, I get teary. Um, I am just so thankful. You know, that is the reason why I'm alive. I'm alive because Christ died for me, and I don't take that for granted. And that is why I do what I do. You know, I was thinking about it today. Uh, it would be 
it would have been easy in some respects to live a very quiet, peaceful life and never tell the world about what happened to me. But I never would have been able to live with myself, and I never would have been able to have the kind of relationship with him that I do if I had not been willing to accept the purpose that he had for my life. And I don't want anybody else to miss out on that. It's an incredible blessing. I, I have a very similar story. And if you get a chance to go back through the archives of my podcast at all, you can hear more detail on that. And I'm sure as the weeks go on, I, I will be sharing more because I often share snippets of my story. But basically, in a lot of ways, that's my story, too, is that I felt um, in some ways as a young man betrayed by God because mm-hmm. I said, if you had made me with a healthy body, then I could serve you. And it took about nine years after I came to know him personally before he, before I finally let go and said, okay, God, you have this plan for me, so um, why don't I just let you work it out? Yeah. And he's given me so many opportunities, including the opportunity to do this podcast from a radio station. So I have no equipment costs or major overhead costs associated with production. I have a co-host who works in professional radio, Adam, and I just feel blessed above and beyond what I could ask or imagine. And I'm able to go and preach the word of God and share it with other people um, throughout Michigan and also in other states in ways that I never imagined either. And uh, But it never would have happened if I hadn't just surrendered and said, okay, God, you're the one that's writing this story. So I can exactly. definitely relate to you very much. You're so right, Andrew. I, you know, I'm, I'll have a book coming out in January of 2017, and even though it's, you know, publishers shake things up, um, really that was this, the premise that I wanted to share with the world is, you know what, God is the author, not only the author of our lives, but He's the one who writes the story of our lives. And, you know, sin rewrites the story. We want to erase lines, right? We want to change a few paragraphs. We'd like to write the story the way it works for us. Mm-hmm. But in reality, he writes the story, and we are called to live it out. And the question is whether people are going to be willing to live it out the way that he has written it. And it can be scary and, oh, my gosh, but at the same time, it's incredibly exhilarating. All right. Well, as we come up upon this anniversary of the 44th year of Roe versus Wade, uh, this is a very polarizing issue. Politicians say it's too religious. <laughs> Religious people say it's too political. Um, but as as we deal with it, it's very polarizing. People are on both sides of the issue. Uh, they have their own views, some born out like yours, especially from personal experience, others from what they've been taught from a young age, some like me, a combination of both of those things. So what would you, if you were to talk to people uh, who might be listening, a person who might be listening what would be the biggest misconception that you think the public has about abortion that you would like to clear up? Oh, gosh, where do I start with that? Um, I guess I would say, you know, considering what's been going on right now, abortion is not health care. Abortion is not health care. I don't care how many times somebody wants to try to spin those words. Abortion is not health care for a woman, and it's not health care for a child. It ends the life of a child, and it puts the woman's life at risk by performing an abortion. So, no, abortion is not health care. And 
you know, there are so many other places besides Planned Parenthood. If we want to talk about women's health care, there are somewhere like over 13,000 other federally qualified health centers where women can go to receive the health care that they so need and deserve. So I want to be very clear with that. You know, Planned Parenthood does not need all of the money that they are getting from the federal government in order to continue to meet the needs of women. Those needs are being met in other places. And the reality is that the pro-life side, which I worked in directly for 10 and a half years as an employee with Right to Life of Michigan, does not receive those funds. And if they did receive some of those funds, they could do more. Um, oh, my gosh. Yeah. Think about, uh, you know, you know I, <laughs> even about all of the pregnancy centers that exist across our nation. You know, I have seen people with a shoestring budget saving hundreds of lives each year and meeting the needs of women in ways that that they truly need to be met um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, physically. You know what those centers wouldn't do to have just one iota of those funds and what good they could do with it. And and I I would just say I would just hasten to say that I would I would be hesitant to see them try to support those necessarily because if if someone if some well-hearted uh, government official says we should support them and they start giving funds and <laughs> they start calling the shots and then hamstring the pro-life community that would not be good either so I just wanted to throw that in there as an addendum oh, yeah. to what I said because well, it's not. As cut and uh, as cut and dried one way or the other, as it should be. But I'm just pointing out that there's a, a a very much a disconnect because they call themselves nonprofit, but they rake in millions of dollars <laughs> in the name of being nonprofit, and they do exactly. And they're not in the business of family planning; they're in the business of family banning. So yes, that's a good one. Let, well, and even you know, unfortunately, in the state of California, what we've seen, you know, those pregnancy centers don't receive any federal or state funds, but yet their governor signed into law something that would um, have those centers refer for abortions. They don't even receive any funding, but yet they are being pushed in that direction. So what you have to say about that is so true. I mean, there is certainly the fear of overreach um, if there would ever be some kind of fund shifting. But yeah, what a shame that there is just such a huge discrepancy between the two. All right, Adam, this is a very important topic. And usually I don't call on you more than once an episode, but I'm wondering if you have any additional thoughts as we've gone through this interview and maybe an additional question for our guests. Well, uh, Melissa, I, I have to be honest. Uh, we, we've done so so many interviews over the past few years, and this one just has me completely like my ears are glued <laughs> to your story. It's just amazing, and I mean that as glory to God because it's been amazing oh, yeah. to hear what you've gone through, how God has brought this full circle in your own life, and then how He's using you to get the truth out of of what's going on. I, I love what you talked about with that healthcare. Or that abortion is is not health care. It, it's just so sad in our day and age where we have it confused, where we think, well, this is is helping a woman, and, and we'll cover this, while others are, you know, getting surgeries and getting repaired from accidents and even dying from diseases, and they're not being covered. It's just it, it blows my mind. So, uh, just thank you for just uh, 
preaching the truth, to be honest, because we need we need more people. We need more soldiers for Christ to do that in everyday life. So with that, though, we know when we go out as soldiers for Christ that there's going to be times of, uh, you know, people not maybe liking that so much. <laughs> so in this field, like how, how can we pray for you? Is your websites growing? Is it going out to more speech, uh, speaking engagements? How can we and the listeners be praying for you? Um, you know, just that I continue to heed God's will, no matter how difficult it is. You know, I'll be honest, there are times where I get a phone call, like, you're going to go, you know, we're asking you to testify before Congress, and I want to hang up the phone and say, <laughs> no, <laughs> no, I, I'm not really interested. Uh, but then, of course, I know that, A, that happened because it is God's will, and then, B, I go out and do it, and, and God has me covered in grace to make it happen. But, yeah, you know, that I continue to have the strength and the courage to heed God's will, no matter how hard it gets. And just continued prayers for the the health of me and for my family. You know, to be honest, it's usually my family that's attacked before it's me, um, because the enemy knows that that's the best way to get to me. You know, I've got little girls that, that I would drop anything and everything in a moment's notice, you know, for. And so, yeah, it's usually my family before it's me. So I just, I so appreciate those prayers. Well, we'll definitely be doing that. And if I'm... If I'm not mistaken, you did testify before Congress for the recent, <laughs> after the recent things with the Planned Parenthood videos, and I believe there's a video available um, via YouTube of, of that testimony. So mm -hmm. I think um, I'd encourage people to look at that, and I may try to look it up and link it to the blog to go along with this podcast so that people can hear that, because I, I believe I did watch that. Um, and I know I watched yeah, it's pretty short. It's about uh, five minutes. Gianna Jessens, and those are just so powerful. How can you refute someone who lived through it and act like um, it's not a human life? And and I just want to to go back a little bit to what you said. You were talking about how you finished a master's degree and all this stuff you've accomplished, and you have a family with these little girls, and all that from someone who supposedly was not a viable human life. You know, that just makes me want... If it wasn't so sad, I would be laughing my head off right now because that's... I can laugh about it now. <laughs> <laughs> because that, that, it's just crazy the way some people think. But um, the Bible does say that the cross is foolishness to them that don't believe. And I assume other things are foolishness as well. All right, well, we're going to wrap up in just a moment. I just have a couple more quick questions for you. First of all, do you have a favorite Bible verse that, it's kind of a motto for your life or that helps you as you go about these tasks of affirming human life? Yeah, Jeremiah 1.5 was my confirmation verse. And that was when I, you know, that same year I found out that I had survived the abortion. So, you know, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And um, I take great comfort in that verse. Yeah, that's one of my favorites as well. I often cite it when I'm discussing the pro-life issue um, because it doesn't get any better than that. All right, as we finish up, one final question. Um, uh, do you have any final thoughts uh, for those of us listening as we reflect on the somberness of the Roe versus Wade 44th anniversary and as we seek to be people who affirm the sanctity of human life? No, I guess my, my parting words would be kind of twofold. First of all, Thank you for anyone and everyone listening who chooses to get involved to as we commemorate this, whether it's locally, nationally, 
you know, praying at home, however you choose to mark that anniversary. But secondly, you know, for maybe people who aren't planning on doing that or haven't before, I would just challenge folks to get involved. You know, we can't sit back and wait for somebody else to do it, to go to a march, to pray outside of the clinic, you know, whatever it may be. Um, we cannot leave it up to somebody else. We are each called as Christians to stand up and and speak the truth and be willing to get involved um, for the least among us. And so that is my challenge to your listeners. Well, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to join us. I know that when I contacted you, um, I wasn't sure if I'd get a response because I'm used to um, attempting to book guests and not getting a response. So I really appreciate that you took the time to spend with us today, and I will definitely make sure that you uh, get a link to this when it is posted, which will be the second, uh, I think it's the third or fourth Friday in January, if I am not mistaken. So I'll make sure that that goes out to you as soon as it is live. Thank you so much for joining us. We will be praying for you. I'm excited to to hear about your book's release, and and maybe we can have you on again as that draws nearer. So I, I look forward to to uh, seeing all that happens with the Abortion Survivors Network, and it's great to meet you. I pray that God will go with you and make his face shine upon you and give you peace. Um, Thank you. And, uh, my friends, uh, that's what it's all about here on the Speaking For Him podcast. Um, We talk about often the need to make a difference in the world uh, and the need to invest in people. That's, That's why... Speaking for Him exists is because we want to encourage people to draw closer to God and to walk worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And the Bible says in the book of James that that true religion and undefiled is this, is to visit the fatherless and the widow and to make oneself unspotted from the world. And there's no greater need to be there for the fatherless than to stand up for the unborn child and to champion life. I told you a few weeks ago that I haven't been as vocal about this issue as I need to be, and so that's why we're talking about it again today. But I thank you so much for listening to this podcast. I hope that you um, are blessed, and I hope that you will share this episode with your family and friends. And as it says at the end of the show, I'll just reiterate it here. If you like what you hear, uh, give us a review on iTunes. Rate us. It only takes a couple seconds, but it could mean someone totally new finding the show. So it's very important to pay attention to the contact information at the end of the show and to interact with our show. Well, that's all we have for this week, but continue to listen, and we'll be back again next Friday with another great episode. Until then, keep serving the best of masters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Your host has been Andrew Gomison, founder of Speaking for Him, alongside his co-host and executive producer, Adam McNutt. For more information on today's show and to leave us comments and voicemails, visit speakingforhim.blogspot.com. You can find Andrew's ministry at speakingforhim.com. That's speaking, the number four, H-I-M. You can also interact with us at facebook.com slash speakingforhim and on Twitter at Speaking for Him. And when you look for us on iTunes and Stitcher, let us know what you think of the podcast by leaving a rating and review.